Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where our goal is to help you find health and community through movement. I'm Molly Herford, a writer, coach, and yoga teacher. And I'm Peter Glassford, an endurance coach and kinesiologist. Every week, we're talking to athletes and experts who can help you lead your best active, adventurous life. Whether you're a gravel racer, a marathon runner, or you just got out on your first bike ride yesterday, we're here cheering you on. You can also visit us online at consummateathlete.com for coaching information and training tips, nutrition advice, yoga flows, bike skills, and more. And now, let's get into this week's episode. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It's going well. I'm getting on top of some sleep dead, if that's possible. I'm trying to get, uh, yeah, sleeping in like normal, I guess. Do we sleep in normally? I don't know. But anyhow, it's been a couple weeks uh, on, on the road and flying, which is different. And yeah, just sleep has been much lower than I've been used to. Yeah, I feel like you can probably tell that from our voices right now. Uh, Although actually, you know what? I feel a lot less hoarse today than I have been in the last few days. Definitely the the sleep debt was starting to pile up and I could feel my voice starting to go a little bit, but I think it's back to normal. Uh, Yeah, so I mean, those of you who listened to the past couple episodes, you know, first we were at Mount, or Peter was at Mountain Bike World Championships as a technical coach with Cycling Canada. Uh, and then we were both crewing for our good friend, Karen Holland, who just tackled the Bruce Trail, a 900 kilometer, super, super techie trail here in Ontario. It's amazing. If you live anywhere near any part of it, you should definitely check out what's what's in your backyard because it's fantastic. It's such a cool resource. And she crushed it. I think so. I mean, we're recording this and I don't know if it's, I looked quick there. It looked like it was maybe 30 40 50k out from the finish line she's gonna make it she's gonna set the the overall record uh, i guess i'll have to redo this intro if she doesn't but I'm, we could I'm be jinxing it, we could be jinxing i'm putting it here now you heard it here first so <laughs> so we're back so we're back <laughs> um uh, anyway it, yeah so that was our first real experience crewing something like that although uh, you know, long-time fans of the show might remember we did actually work uh, for the cyclocross team Aspire Racing for a while. I was the team manager. Peter came on as the occasional mechanic for a couple seasons. Uh, so really driving around in a big van full of snacks and uh, athletic gear is pretty par for the course for us. Yeah, there's a lot of crossover similarities as far as having things ready and sort of a lot of waiting around, but then a lot of, you know, sort of stressful moments where you're trying to do the right thing and say the right thing and have the right thing. A lot of the hurry up and wait. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then navigation too is a big part of it as well, which I always enjoy, uh, you know, trying to be at the right place and mapping out the correct route. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as we were sitting in the van talking when we did have time and then sort of in the days that have followed since we finished our duties as crew people and let other people take over, uh, we started talking about before before we even did that, we'd been talking about doing an episode about things that we observed from world championships while Peter was over there as as the technical coach, sort of just what he observed the athletes who performed really well doing and, you know, flip side what athletes who maybe didn't do as well, maybe weren't doing. Uh, It's a great chance to really see what the race week looks like. And, you know, he got to put some of his skills, bike skills specifically to use and go around with riders on the course. So we started talking about sort of the, the takeaways from that week, if you will. And then we realized a lot of the takeaways from that week are very similar to the takeaways that we got crewing Karen to this really, really incredible victory here Mm -hmm. yeah and both are sort of world-class events right I don't think you know Karen's a a pretty uh 
I don't know what the, I guess world class athlete really in that you know she's put in a lot of years. Yeah, I would say fifteen. I don't know her exact history, but you you told me it was you know she's been running for most of her adult life, I guess. Uh, you know, and that in the running especially that's important before you know we all rush towards these marathons and long distance, right? Um, but the body takes a long time to adapt, and that's usually why you see oh, someone had to stop running because of knees or ankles or feet or whatever, right? So pretty crazy just watching her. You know, not that she didn't have, you know, her own share of ailments as she went through this, but the usual situation is that people end up with tons of blisters all over their feet or uh, knee pain or I think, uh, what did Ryan, Ryan had like a blood infection. I don't know if that was like something like a, a cut or something that got infected and then uh, just became a big deal all of a sudden. So these things happen with these, especially these on foot events. So, um, yeah, just pretty crazy to, to see this sort of happening before your eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So should we get into our takeaways? I guess so. Yeah. And, and the idea being, you know, these are sort of elite level performances. So, you know, we can only take so much as, as regular people, but I think a lot of these are, are sort of industry standard things right and a lot of times we have world-class basics right they're not doing anything especially in cycling right it's not like we're not gymnasts doing backflips or anything right this is especially cross-country mountain biking is you know karen's just running she's not running miraculously fast or anything like that Uh, so a lot of these things around organization and preparation and technical skill and uh, coaching i guess taking feedback uh, really a lot of pretty universal a lot of the habits that we discuss in our book becoming a consummate athlete Sure, you could say that for sure uh yeah so I mean, the first one is really just having a plan. And Peter, maybe you can speak to this for world championships, but I'll say with Karen's excursion here, there were lists upon lists and you know several Zoom meetings coordinating everything and laminated maps with, uh, with permanent marker all over them. Did you know you can remove permanent marker from a laminated map sheet with a with um, hand, hand sanitizer. sanitizer, very exciting. Yeah, the use for all the hand sanitizer you've probably bought over the last year and a half. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And you know, she'd cord- pre-coordinated what's up, uh, app chats for people who had wanted to come in and pace her. Uh, really, just had a plan in mind, and this obviously was a huge thing for the athletes you were traveling with, as you guys navigated getting over to Italy. Yeah. No, I was very impressed. We, uh, Cycling Canada brought two admin staff, uh, like to the trip, which I was at first, I was a little, you know, okay, this seems a little extra, but with all the COVID travel policies evolving and having to get tests. And so we had, I think, let's say 55 total with athletes and coaches. It sort of ebbed and flowed depending on different projects coming in from other races and so forth and people going other places afterwards. But it was, you know, it's just crazy trying to get everyone their test at the right time and checked into the races and the correct races and the hotel rooms and the buses. Do we have a big enough bus? How does the bus get to the place you're supposed to go in Europe with all the switchbacks and stuff? So, yeah, having admin staff is very valuable, but then it's on the athletes to make sure, you know, the admin staff gets all these documents. So there's a lot of paperwork that you're shuffling around, even as an athlete or as a, a coach, in my case, where you're trying to have the right document because at some point it becomes you talking to a passport officer or a you know the person at check-in at the airport yeah and i've seen a couple of the major fall marathons are requiring vaccines now so you know all of that stuff is now a much much more logistical nightmare we'll say making sure you have printouts of everything you need but even before 
even before we were talking about COVID stuff, I think the having a plan has been so huge. We've talked about this on the podcast. We've talked about it in the book. We've talked about it on the website. That whole idea of having your sort of pre-race journal entry going with all of the information you need, you know, from start time, packing lists, um, when you're going to be able to get on course and warm up, when you can pick up your numbers, uh, what, you know, what time you start, what time you're planning on finishing, who's going to be around, where are they going to be when you finish, or where should you tell them to be when you finish. Right. Uh, a lot of people don't think about a lot of these logistics till the night before, and it leads to a much more stressful night. And I've always been a believer that a lot of this is stuff we can practice, you know, maybe not daily, but, you know, your key workout of the week or, you know, your big ride of the week. Some of this stuff, you know, it would fall in under what we call gameplay of trying to, you know, pretend you're playing the game, right? Um, you know, when you go to soccer practice, you put on your, your soccer uniform and so forth. You use the shoes you're going to use. So in our case, you know, you're going to try and eat the food you eat at the time you would normally eat it. Maybe you train at the time of the race. Uh, a lot of this stuff, right? You tr- have your gear bag. I've, I've always personally felt like training out of a gear bag just sets me up that I can go anywhere and train effectively. And then when we go to the race, I just grab my gear bag. It's the same gear bag I use all the time. I know where all the stuff is. Uh, so I've always felt personally like that's a, a big deal just to be able to be portable, uh, yeah. as an athlete, if you intend to travel to any sort of races, right? If you're just going to train into your home and race locally, then it's not as big a deal. And then that's where you get into your favorite topic area of designing the closet and, you know, the gear room and so forth. Organization, which is actually our next point, which is everything has its place. And it's so important to both start and stay organized. Like I can tell you, do you we won't name names, but, you know, in cyclocross, there were a few riders, we'll say, who, if they opened their duffel bags to look for anything, suddenly the entire floor of the van was just covered in stuff because their stuff was so mismatched and so disorganized. Mm-hmm. Uh, flip side, the other athletes were meticulously organized. We always cite the mechanic for the Aspire Racing Team, Tom Hopper, as the most organized human being on the planet. Like the van was always pristine with where everything was. It was Mm -hmm. a work of art. Yeah, and working with Tom was definitely great because I did learn a lot of this. You know, just everything in the van has to go back where it was. Trying to keep the van clean all the time uh, is just really important, right? And it's so that the next time you go to use it, it's still clean and it's still ready to go. You know, if you're out of anything or if anything's missing, uh, so you can replace it and have it there. Right. Yeah. So if you're traveling to a race, like some of these young athletes or older athletes, the elite athletes at world championships got into their forties. Uh, the best thing you can do is have your bags pre-organized before you leave. I know it's super tempting to pack on the fly and just be kind of throwing things into your duffel bag or your bike box and say, Oh, I'll organize it at the hotel. I'll organize it you know, the night before the race, I'll organize it whenever. You're not going to. If it starts disorganized, you're probably never going to get on top of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even starting this Bruce Trail excursion, Karen had organized the van pretty perfectly. And we spent a lot of our time crewing, basically just continually reorganizing and putting stuff back. We're putting it back, cleaning dishes, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Getting it ready. Uh, and then at worlds, you know, I, I travel with a suitcase, but everything, you know, shorts are in sort of one, uh, what would you call that? Like a stuff sack or something. Yeah. Uh, but then when we got there, there was actually a really nice, uh, 
closet we'll call it with sort of cubbies and so i sort of just set up a system there since we were there for the better part of a week and so i you know sort of had the uniform for day one the uniform for day two uniform for day three and then we did laundry and then it went back uh and sort of like that right and same deal like my sort of street clothes you know hanging them up i tried to do like collared shirts to be professional uh trying the keyword and yeah so they're just they're hanging up so it's not wrinkly uh, and I can see them and sort of get going. And this is sort of a choose your own adventure because some people really prefer those different stuff sacks of shorts are in this one, shirts are in this one, uh, sports bras and short or socks are in this one, accessories are in this one. Some people prefer more of a day one, day two, day three. And I would do in a stage race, I would usually do the day one. So it would have like socks, shorts. Uh, I guess all that stuff, right? And then you'd maybe have be rotating shoes, helmets, maybe too. Uh, if you were, if you were running that, if it was wet, that'd be handy. Uh, but yeah, I think that can work really well too. If you're sort of doing the same thing multiple days and you have the kit to do that, mm-hmm. um, that can be a really good system. Yeah, it's always tough when you fall back. As as Karen actually ended up doing, she found one pair of shorts that she particularly wanted, so it became a bit more of like an every night we had to figure out how to get these shorts clean and you know a lot of the time we had access to a washing machine but that's that's a challenge when you're trying to do your day one day two day three for sure so yeah. actually i do think though it's worth if you're tackling a huge goal like this and you do know that there's a piece of gear that you really want to have i do think it's worth the investment of okay i love these shorts and sure they're hundred dollar shorts or whatever i'm gonna buy three or four of them because they're gonna get me through it. and a lot of the mountain bike stage races there's some running stage races too and there, a lot of these are in that sort of five to seven days right so I, I think you assume when they get long there's usually some sort of laundry to figure out um you know it is an advantage if you can just sort of not ever have to think about that it's one less thing Ooh, quick pro tip if you do have a van situation or a stage race where you're driving to it or whatever uh pro tip get a salad spinner it sounds weird, but you can actually basically use a salad spinner to wash a single pair of shorts or a single top or something. Uh, you put a little bit of soap in, use the salad spinner to spin it, and then you use just more, add more water to rinse it out. Hmm. And it actually gets spun pretty well. Yeah, I guess, and that would work for some of these, like, I mean, run shorts are so tiny and so dry, you know, they dry so fast anyhow. Yeah, you can certainly hand wash in a hotel sink i'm not saying you can't do that but in a van a salad spinner is a fantastic little extra Mm. tool could you i wonder if you could dry it like that too i guess it helps yeah because you're getting a lot of the extra moisture out well there you go that's that's a hack life hack for you they do make tiny little manual washer like washing machines but they're basically just slightly bigger salad spinners Hmm. so if you're thinking you just need one piece of clothing washed plus then you can keep your salads going nice and fresh so then the other thing that comes to mind for organization is you know when we're traveling it's it's without fail you know people people and this is not sports specific this is just you go to an airport you're going to see this someone's lost their boarding pass then you know they're telling you you need a boarding pass where's your boarding pass i saw a guy lose his passport left it in the toilet uh, so that was hard to explain to the info desk. Uh, so it's just, you know, how are you going to carry this stuff? Especially now, again, there's this COVID stuff you have to carry too, uh, assortment of documents. So there's a bunch of paper you may have to pull out at any time. Like it might be the time that you're going to like some sort of fanny pack that's like a filing thing of your documents. I'm going to leave that up to you. But you want to make sure because I'm really bad. Like I end up with six pockets and you put your passport in one and then you have a panic attack because you can't find it. You forgot you had a pack a pocket on your, you know, on the back or in your hoodie or something. 
Yeah, I actually did a post on this way, way, way back, and maybe we can link to it in the show notes, but talking about documents for travel and how I do that. And I have a full like eight and a half by 11 inch uh, leather envelope, basically. So it's just like a folder, but it's leather. So it stays completely decent and doesn't destroy your paper. The folder doesn't get beat up. Uh, and that's where I'd put any actual papers. Uh, then I have passport wallet and that has all of the important stuff. And then my phone, actually, every phone I have will always have a silicon uh, thing stuck to the back for credit card and driver's license. So I always have those on hand. And I can't tell you how much better that made my life. Just having mm-hmm. those sort of three places to have my stuff. So yes, constant yeah, so organization. I think, and with the younger athletes, that's definitely a struggle, right? Like they just, it's in their pocket. They're not thinking about it as much. And I don't know if you ever get ahead of that until like, sometimes that's just age that stuff comes. But, um, you know, that's, that seems to be a, a common thing as you know, the, the work ahead of time to get, uh, and that might have been one of the points too. I don't know, but this idea of being organized before you go into the the battle, so yeah, to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Right. If your bike's clean and ready, you're going to do better than thing. If you have as many documents as you could possibly need, they're in different formats on your phone and paper. You're sort of set up with some redundancy to to enter. Right. You might still more than likely you're going to need something you don't have, and you're going to have to figure it out. But yeah, but this is just trying to avoid that night before the race or morning of the race just kerfuffle of I don't have X, Y, Z. Right. And and that's, you know, I have a few clients that are very good at, you know, they go to the venue, they figure out where transponders are, where registration is, where the pot- porta potties are so that on race morning, they sort of do their warm up and it, it sounds very monotonous and, you know, oh, that's like a waste of time. It's like, no, they show up a day and, you know, they, they have that, they figure it out, right? What are the problems going to be? You know, is the washroom too far away from the start? That's a, a common one. Very important, important problem. Stuff, yeah. Yeah, um, actually, that was an issue at a race here uh, in this area a couple of weeks ago. Uh, porta potty st- shortages. Porta potty yeah. shortages. So a lot of people suddenly had to figure out a whole situation or system for that. Uh, we actually heard some pretty creative takes. Uh, without going too far into detail, there were some bucket situations that got sorted out. Very impressive. Props yes. to anyone who dealt with that. I used the word impressive, but okay. Uh, actually, I didn't know. I didn't know this until I was bi- on a bikepacking press trip a couple of years ago. But they actually now make basically poo bags for humans, um, so you can carry in, carry out. But they're slightly like burlier than a dog poo bag, wider, easier to use. Hmm. Because technically, even digging a hole in the middle of the desert is still well. Everyone can't dig a hole. There's a lot of people going yeah. outside. Yeah thought that was interesting so look into that if your race doesn't have porta potties nearby thank you for going there that's perfect uh, moving on uh actually the other thing on the note of stuff is the right gear so your big observation was just that now if you're going to do well at world championships a dropper post is a must and a couple years ago that was not the case i remember 10 years ago that was definitely not the case Mm -hmm. yeah i think in that this xco discipline right there's just it's becoming more and more like there's more and more of these steep drops it's everything's getting lighter so it's not as it doesn't cost as much for to to have it and so i think there's riders that are just so good that they can still they probably better not carrying the the pound or whatever it is up the hill but it does seem that they're becoming more and more common which is a trend in your sport so you do need to keep an eye on like what is the game you're playing uh and if especially if you're losing time or taking beelines or again losing time through a rock garden or a steep feature or a downhill to someone with a drop proposed like you need to you know 
this might be part of it, right? Yeah. Now, I will make the argument for the flip side of that, which is if you have something that you really love and you find really comfortable, you don't necessarily need to go with every single trend. So right now for ultra running, for example, the big thing is these uh, new vests where the water is in the two little uh, handheld type things, like small ones on the front. Uh, whereas I actually really prefer running with a bladder, like in a vest on my back and my snacks in the front. I find is that it really, a trend? yeah, it's, no. you know what? I think it's actually more among men than it is women though. I'll make that argument because for us, it's really annoying for a lot of us to have these water things strapped down right over our boobs. Mm. Uh, men okay. do not have that issue, but anyway, like I've been aware of those, but yeah, it seemed like a lot of the women were using them actually who are supporting Karen here. Well, a lot of the packs now have places to carry them, even if they also have a bladder. Oh, okay. Because a lot of people, a lot of our friends will actually do a pack with water in the the big bladder, but then they'll do little things of tailwind or a sport drink of some kind, which I think is, is a great use for them. But basically, I'm just saying not every single trend needs to be followed. I mean, the big maximalist shoes were huge a couple of years ago. We didn't go with them, but dropper posts are very clearly here to stay and are more of a, I think for XCO for sure. I mean, I think if it, if you're in a local cross country race, like it's, it's maybe not like, it depends where you're racing, you know, into marathon and and whatnot. Like it's maybe not as needed. Like you just need to keep an eye on like who's winning on what, I guess, if, if you're at that pointy end. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if you're limited technically, like I think it's almost, you know, you sort of get two buckets of people, right? You have the people who are way too fit, and not, you know, they don't spend as much time on skills. And then you have the people who are really good at skills and, you know, tend to not be as fit, Um, you know, and then you have your world-class people who are, you know, pretty good at both uh, or really good at both, I guess, to be fair. Yeah. Um, So if you're the person who climbs really well, then you can probably afford, you know, having this little bit of insurance and then maybe you don't crash as much or you don't, again, lose time on a descent, right? It does make a difference, uh, to be more centered and lower and so forth. So that was, I I guess, as far as tech tips or or tech observations, I guess that was a big one Mm -hmm. Uh, from Worlds. I mean, it was really great racing. If you haven't gone and watched uh, the races, there's some very exciting. I don't really like watching bike racing that much, but there was definitely some short track was very, very good. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Very exciting. Yeah. Uh, And I mean, both XC races actually ended very exciting as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, So the next point, uh, and maybe we're a little biased on this one, but every goal does need a support crew. And this doesn't necessarily mean the crew that's going to follow you around in the van or that you have a technical coach and five mechanics over in Italy with you at world championships. Uh, We talk about this in our book, Becoming a Consummate Athlete. But if you do have a big, scary athletic goal, you do need a crew around you. And that, that doesn't have to be a super professional one. I mean, certainly... Obviously, a coach, a physio, a massage therapist, you know, strength training specialist, all of these kind of things can have huge benefits. But we also mean, is your partner or spouse on board with what you're doing? Do you have our parents? There's a lot of parental support, family Mm -hmm. support for uh, community support for a lot of these younger athletes who are at Worlds. Do you have friends you can talk to about the sport that you're doing or do you just not really have any any kind of support and you're kind of doing it alone in which case you know it might be time to look into local teams or clubs or something to try to find that community Uh, but i think we've both been so impressed by the community that all came out to support karen uh, above and beyond just the six people who were the official sort of crew members that were in the van there were 
Yeah, I don't know what the tally is if they're going to do a tally, but it's it's a lot of people. D- dozens, if not, like I'd say we're getting up towards a hundred people who will have oh, shown it's, up. It's got to be over a hundred. We we would have saw a hundred over four days, I think. Not sure. I guess it depends how you're defining it, but like there was random people standing on the side of the trail with signs and Harry the hiker. If you don't follow him on Insta, there's a shout out for that young man. Yeah. So I think just remembering that no goal is going to exist in a vacuum. You are going to need some support around you, even if it is, we'll call it neutral support. I don't mean neutral support, like some random guy with a van of wheels or something. I Mm. mean more neutral support in that your family or friends are not actively against your goal that at least they well, comprehend they, know, they maybe know the, when it's happening that's sort of our, our thing usually is that you know did you ask your family if you could you know go across the the country and race you know when you're supposed to be doing family vacation or something exactly or is it you know well timed with family vacation family vacation maybe comes you know in the week after your goal race that would be great now you're tired you're ready to be present with your family vacation and relax yeah, so there's my that's my version of neutral support. Not necessarily cheering for you at every step, but at least are not actively irritated with you for pursuing whatever goal. Mm-hmm. With Worlds, I would say the one thing, you know, it's tough with the younger kids. Uh, you see it at all levels, but it's, you know, just making sure that the athlete is able to do the stuff they're supposed to, like they're, they're going to need to do and they know sort of about their bike. You see a lot... Uh, where the parents have done everything to their bike and there's stuff on the bikes and the kids don't necessarily do anything mechanically. And I think that's that's disad- uh, it's a disadvantage because at some point, you know, there might be a part on their bike they need to replace or find a replacement for or during the race, there might be something that happens that like a decision has to be made based on what's on the bike. Uh, I'm trying to think of a an example that isn't the example that's in my head because it's too on the nose. Um well, I mean, if someone flats on the middle of a mountain bike course and doesn't even know how to use a CO2 to see if Yeah, I mean, that might it. be an example. I mean, no one fixes flats anymore in XCO, but that would be an example for like a more grassroots race where you might have to fix it. In, in a mountain bike race, I see it. We talked about this recently. Like no one carries tools anymore. So like if your seat spins, you can't, you know, they can't use an Allen key or they don't have the Allen key to use. So there's stuff like that for sure. To me, until you hit that World Cup level, it's probably worth just like having a multi-tool and a CO2 somewhere on your sure, bike. Sure, yeah, yeah. Just putting it out there. Um, but yeah, just making sure, because it is, it's part of it. It's in our long-term development model that like the athlete starts learning about their bike. Like the bike needs to run smoothly. Do they know how to deal with it, right? If the shifting starts going mid-race, do they know how to troubleshoot that and, you know, turn the knobs and try and make it better, if not fix it? Uh, maybe there's an example for you. There you go. Yeah, there we go. Uh, okay, perfect. Um, let's see. What's the, oh, on the note of that, uh, always asking what's the next thing. So if your bike does break in the middle of the course, instead of, you know, hucking it to the side, like we've seen videos of some pros do over the years, or, you know, just cursing and shaking your fist at the sky or bursting into tears or any of that, just taking that deep breath and asking what's the next thing. Yeah. What's next. Um, and I think that's, you know, when you're racing or riding, you know, tomorrow or running or whatever you're doing, just keep trying to think like what's coming around the corner. What am what, what is the next thing I have to focus on? What's the next segment? What's the next, you know, am I thinking about eating? If you know the route and you're navigating, right, you're trying to visualize the line that's coming up. This is very XCO when we really know the course. Um, but you're sort of thinking towards that next turn, that next obstacle, setting up the line. Um, 
so what's next is very good in a workout in a race but it's also for the crew that was what i was you know when we were doing our switch over that's the stressful thing with these long things is we actually switched and uh, you know another set of people took over as the crew driving the van and, and setting up food and stuff so you're trying to explain just this there's so many things you do in the day none of it's rocket science but there's so many things how does the van work where do you go where's the map you know what does she like where does she sleep uh, so you're trying to go and it's really just thinking like, what is the next thing, right? We're at this time of day, this just thing we're doing to this segment. We need to go to this, uh, thing. It's getting towards lunchtime. Okay. Well, might want some lunch, right? So it's thinking about that. And similarly in a, you're traveling at the airport. Okay. I'm in the passport line. What's the next thing they're going to do? Okay. The plane's landed. What's the first thing they're going to ask when I get off the plane? How do I get, okay. How do I get to immigration passport check? faster than all the people on the plane. Can I fast walk and beat them? I'm that guy. Um, but you need to know where your passport and the flight number they're going to want to know or something like that, right? So you can have those pieces of paper ready while you're sitting there waiting and people are hitting you in the head with bags. Peter is not the guy that shoves his way out of the plane. No, Just very wanted patient. wanted to put that out there. And it's fast walking. You can't run. Yeah. Uh, actually, sort of similar to that, we did write down know the routes. So obviously we mentioned the laminated maps on Karen's side, but I mean, the main reason Peter was in Italy was in order to do the course with the athletes ahead of the, the race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was really, I mean, day of the race, week of the race, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to teach someone to bunny hop, right? That's not really, you know, I was there as the technical coach, but it's, I was trying to, I think I did 21 laps or something. So I probably had the most number of laps or, you know, probably there was other coaches who did a lot too, but I did a lot of laps relative to what you would do pre-riding a, a course. Right. But that hopefully, you know, then I start learning it in the different lines and I'm watching, right. I'm watching, oh, well, there's, you know, a bunch of athletes go through this. Uh, what lines are people taking? Not that every, you don't have to take every line, right. You're going to make your choice as the athlete, but there's going to be two or three options basically, right. That are working. Uh, and then, so that sort of fast forwards for the team learning the course, right. And pre-riding it, right. If someone else is out pre-riding and we can collect video of different sections. So then they have video to do as well. And then over the course of the week and there's different races, right. There's the junior race and the e-bike race and the short track. So parts of the course actually start changing. So you're also trying to watch this as new lines form and new things happen. Right. So that was my goal. So certainly for uh, XCO where the course is very short and you know, you know, you do many, many laps. It's important to know the course really, really well. Yes. At the same time though, not doing so many laps that you No, I think that's why I was there, right. Just to try and not do that, but gain a lot of the advantages you might get from riding it a lot. Right. And mm-hmm. that's as amateurs, you know, you see this all the time and I'm often telling clients, you know, it's a lot of people are not fit enough to ride a mountain bike course very much, right? Like you're doing intervals and and people probably can look at their pre-riding files and it's, you know, it might be as hard as the race in some cases, but at least it's going to be, you know, maybe call this zone three, four, right? Like you're doing tempo and threshold efforts just for two hours pre-riding. Right. Right. Which is, you know, you wouldn't probably do that the day before your big workout, right? Or you're, you know, so it's, it's a, it's a tough thing because you want to learn the course, but how do we do this? It's a tricky, tricky thing to do, right? So it's, can we take video? Can you ride slower? Could you walk a bit? Could you take more breaks? Could you do it two days out instead of one day out? I think that works so well a lot for people. It gives a little bit of recovery on that, you know, ride the road the day before. And it's not always going to be perfect, but the one thing you've even done this on your old blog is going through past, past events and seeing 
other riders' blogs and videos from past versions of the event. And obviously things are going to change a little bit year after year, but something like the Leadville 100, for sure. example, there Just, are you could probably thousands. watch a, you could probably watch a head cam of the whole hundred miles if you wanted to. Yeah. There are thousands of blogs out there. <laughs> and usually when I build everything. the plans for Leadville and some of those races, you know, they try and nudge people towards that by providing like the Google link to you know, Leadville race video, uh, Leadville race images, right. And just, checking it out right there's a movie about leadville watch the movie right mm-hmm. and get psyched on it uh but there's a tech guide for most races where you can see the course map and sort of familiarize yourself with that and you know most athletes don't do it yeah all right next thing eat enough throughout the entire thing uh this is something i've observed from being at a lot of these big races for some reason there's this weird tendency in race week to suddenly decide we're going to get down to race weight in the days before the race and it gets the bigger the group that you're traveling with i think the worse this gets because it turns into this weird oh this person is only eating this much for breakfast maybe i should be eating less for breakfast than i normally do or I was going to have the pasta, but this person's having a salad for dinner, so I'm going to have the salad. And it turns into this weird race to who can eat the least a lot of the time, especially with the younger athletes. But I've seen it with adults as well. For sure it happens with adults. But I mean, and that's one scenario. I think you also run into, you know, we were in Italy. We're traveling on buses and planes to get there for two days, three days for some athletes. Uh, Just hard to find food, right? And that might be because you can't find food you like or it's super expensive or you're just stuck on a plane and there's no food. They don't give you any food anymore. Uh, So if you didn't bring food, then you're sort of stuck. And so now you're down a bunch of calories and then you haven't done anything any day. So there's a bit of a mental like, well, I didn't do anything, so I don't deserve to eat, which isn't the case. You know, Mm -hmm. you still need to be ready and fueled and, you know, protein upon landing is is a good thing. Uh, But you you need to eat, right? You're going to want to ride your bike the next day, right? So you're going to be pretty empty after sort of sitting around all day. Yeah. We sent Peter over to Italy with a giant bag of prepackaged snack type things that he could have Hmm. if needed. And there's bars and trail mix and, you know, it's good. I I forgot to bring protein powder. I would have usually probably brought that as well. But that's the idea. And, you know, I really like hot sauce. So I brought a few packages of hot sauce. You know, there's some of the stuff that, you know, if you know you really like peanut butter and you're going to Europe, you probably just put some peanut butter jars in your uh, checked baggage. So there's just this stuff, right? You know what you're going to have. Because if you're a peanut butter person who really eats a lot of peanut butter, I'm betting that's a big chunk of your daily calories. So you see people go there and you can't get peanut butter. And then what do you replace it with? I don't like jam or something, which doesn't have the same number of calories, mm-hmm. right? So you could see how someone, it was just unintentional, right? But by the nature of a bunch of travel days where you can't access food, you don't feel like eating, and then just different cuisines, it can be very, very, you know, you're living in a hotel, it can be very, very tricky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And very obviously that was a major thing for Karen in the last 900 kilometers. Uh, it was not eating massive meals. It was just consistently eating just all day, every day. Which is, I mean, that's a, a during event uh, for sure. But for in those long events, and, and this happens, you see this all the time, even in the one day long events, right? Something like uh, Unbound Gravel or, you know, any of these marathon mountain bike races, you sometimes you, you almost need a mix of things, right? To keep it uh, hyper palatable. Right? right, yeah. Um, so if we mix it up, that's the way to keep your diet, you know, not eating as much as it's sort of bland, right? Not a lot of crazy flavors, you know, not uh, as salty maybe. But if you want to eat a lot, right, then you mix it up. There's a lot of variety, right? And this is where the foods that we can eat a lot of usually have, you know, they're both, you know, fatty and sugary, uh, mix of flavors. 
you know, at a buffet, you can eat a lot because there's a lot of options, right? A little mm-hmm. bit of everything and all of a sudden it's a lot. So I think, you know, in Karen's case, you're trying to trick her into eating a lot because you're just, oh, I can't eat another whatever gummy bear right yeah. i can't eat another guy okay cool we'll switch you over to what else did she like eat chips yeah chips salty chips okay i'm done with that okay well here's pizza right and yeah. she was like and it's you're like oh pizza while you're running and it's like yeah because you know again she's not running that fast ultimately because she's been running for almost nine days at this point yeah and i think any any ultra endurance event or endurance event whatever it's the eating early and often is the big thing. So it's not waiting till three hours into Leadville to realize you haven't drank a full bottle yet. It's well, usually that's because people are going so hard in the first three hours. So it's, they just getting themselves from both sides. Yeah. So just making sure, yeah, you have a fueling strategy, you're sticking to it. You're not doing anything funky and you're not getting super low on calories in the week before. And I guess both of those things are preparation, right? Preparing by doing workouts where you're practicing your pacing, but also practicing eating early, you know, when you start your ride, can you eat in the first hour? Yes, no. Okay, we'll try again this weekend. Uh, and then we talked about the uh, travel and, and just being ready to eat, right? Are you going to bring the food you need to get through travel? And, and upon landing, you know, do you need to supplement, we'll say, and that, that could mean with a jar of peanut butter, uh, when you get there, right? How can you supplement that that meal mm-hmm. or the meal plan, right? The, the restaurant you're eating at. Yeah. Uh, the next thing is sleep with so many exclamation points. Yeah, and definitely I made an error with that uh, on both trips, I guess. I don't know if it was completely avo- uh, avoidable in, in either trip, but I, I think if I could do it again, I probably would have tried to get in bed a slightly earlier. You know, there's a lot of coaches and mechanics and stuff around. It was really good to see everyone and socialize, uh, and it had been quite a while, obviously. Uh, so yeah, we were out later, but the days start early, right? When you're supporting anyone in any sort of event, the coaches have to do stuff and breakfast is early. And then there'd be a pre-ride, you know, window opening earlier in the day before the races. So the days became long and I think, you know, I'm used to sleeping a fair bit. I've always sort of been like that. So that's, you know, I ended up catching a cold on the way back, which is weird right now. You can't catch cold. So it's true. A little stressful. That does not just apply obviously to us. That applies to pretty much every athlete, especially if you're, you know, week before an event, the odds are good that the night before a big event, you're not going to sleep fantastically. So the week heading into the event is not the time to also be staying up super late and being low on sleep. That's when you really want to be banking sleep to get ready for said event. Yeah. And I mean, I think it comes back even zooming out, right? This is why we need to sleep period. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just, you know, it takes some discipline. It takes, you know, how long are you in bed total? Not how long did you sleep? Just what time did you actually get in your bed and what time did you get out? You know, if it's eight hours, then you didn't sleep for eight hours. Uh, so you're going to have to stretch that out. Uh, and that's that's not just the month before the race. You know, this is because all that all those rhythms and stuff don't happen overnight. So it's right. easier said than done. Everyone's busy. Uh, but that's that's the idea. And then for sure, then the day before the race, you can say, I'm going to be really excited and nervous about this this race. I'm probably not going to say it doesn't matter, though, because it's one night. We have shown this with research. It really doesn't matter. And if you can go into that attitude, you're probably going to fall asleep better well, that's, anyway. That's the trick. That is definitely the trick that like it doesn't matter. And then you fall asleep because you're not stressed about the fact that you can't sleep. Yeah, exactly. So, again, easier said than done. But yeah. that's that's the idea. Yes. No different than training, right? You're not going to train the week. You know, it doesn't matter what you do the week before the race. There is not really a peak, but it does matter if you trained in the months before. Right. And, and if you started two months before, it's not as good as if you started a year or two years or 14 years you know, earlier. Mm-hmm. 
Um, next thing is just that coaching can benefit any level. And you could look at this from Peter was riding the course in Italy with everyone from 16 year old to 40 year old elite racers. Um, and racers have been racing for more than two decades mm -hmm. are and, and are much smarter people than me and much more experienced in a lot of ways. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's just interesting. Some people are not as coachable, which sounds like a criticism or, uh, you know, it, it's not meant like that, but it's just, some people are more open to feedback. Uh, and I do think that, you know, when you look at the people who are at the top of their game, they're usually getting feedback from, from at least one from coach. someone right and it doesn't again this is not about me or, or anyone in particular it's, it's just you know as long as you're getting feedback right that's an important part of becoming better at something is that you get feedback right if you look up anything about like motor learning or learning period uh, deliberate practice would be you know a key part of deliberate practice is that you get feedback you know quickly is, is a big part of that too right not delayed uh, so yeah you, you know I was there again to try and take off some of that load, like just to pre-write some of the fatigue, I was t getting the fatigue and, and then also videoing, right? And sometimes it was just showing the video. I was often just here, this is what I videoed. What do you think this looks like? Sometimes it was, these are the three lines I've seen. Do you want to see me do the lines? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Sometimes it was, you know, there's a group of us and one of the athletes actually can do a better or more representative job because sometimes, you know, for the junior girls, maybe what I would do is not as representative, but maybe one of the junior girls does a great job of it and so we all watch uh, okay right. good well, it's possible let's all go do this um right so that's that's the idea i think is is this idea of, of being coachable and thinking okay well where am i limited when do i need feedback when do i not need feedback um and, and using those resources too i think is the other thing right we had great mechanics we had coaches we had all this stuff right and some athletes really leverage that and ask for feedback and go out of their way to sort of say thank you and and get all they can out of the mechanics and make sure their bikes are set up and the mechanics don't have you know opinions about what's been going wrong or how they could do better some athletes won't even barely let the mechanics touch it some some don't talk to the coaches and again this is super important at any level and actually that feeds very neatly into this next point which is the perception that at a high level there are tons of these top secret resources or tons of money that's just being spent on this stuff. Oh, I was saying to you that it's like the NFL. Everyone thinks like there's just boatloads. Everyone's making money and everyone's, in, and that's not cycling, right? That is not cycling. No. Uh, we've, we've been with all of these top athletes in across the cycling disciplines. And I mean, yeah, even in road, right? Like the top people, like there's more money in road for sure. But like, this is not, you know, this is not NBA. Yeah, very few of them have someone who's doing their laundry every day of the week, maybe on race weeks, but like for the most part, they're cleaning their own homes and... Yeah, and there's maybe like the tour, the week of the tour is probably, you know, pretty extravagant and good for a lot of the teams, a lot of the, you know... But, but a lot of these resources are very accessible to the average person as well. I mean, not everyone can afford maybe a, a coach or occasional massage or the best bike possible, but you can probably consult with a coach once every few months. You can probably uh, foam roll and get pretty close to what a massage therapist could do. And the middle range parts for the bikes are pretty darn good these days. So just saying it, a lot of these perceptions. Well, I guess resource of, allocation is what you're talking about, I yeah. guess. Just, uh, yeah. The idea that like all of these athletes have these huge resources and you couldn't possibly perform at a high level without XYZ thing is 
by and large not going to be the case. Well, and it's not the difference, right? Like sometimes this is like the cherry on top or the extra 1%. Sure. For sure. When you have someone else who does your laundry or, you know, prepares food that it's a big boost in race week. Right. And, and you're right. You can basically do this by going away and going to restaurants and just not going to work for the week ahead of your big race. Right. This is, I call this the working person's peak, right? You just go to Leadville a couple, you know, a week early, stay in Denver, go to some nice restaurants, have fun, go lay by the pool, do a couple rides. That's the peak right? It's fine. And you've basically lived the pro lifestyle, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you can get your bike tuned up, like we've done this at a few of the stage races, I think it was 250 bucks. Now keep in mind, I haven't done a mountain bike stage race in a while, but 250 bucks for the week. And ev after seven stages, probably only after six stages, your bike got just completely cleaned and made over. Right. Perfect. 250 bucks. You can't buy like a chain for 250 yeah, bucks seriously. anymore. Right. So it's, it's some of these things that you can buy a lot of the, the pro quote unquote pro stuff at the right time. Right. You can take your bike to a good mechanic. You can again, you can work with a coach. You can work, you know, whatever, whatever you need. Right. It's there. Yeah, exactly. Um, cool. And then the last thing we want to touch on is just taking time to absorb the load afterwards. And I mean, just enjoy the fact that you finished whatever the event is. So whether it's world championships or finishing the Bruce or doing your first marathon or your first 5k or whatever, uh, take your first bike race, whatever it is, taking the time, whether it's a day or a week or whatever is appropriate for the situation, but taking the time to actually enjoy what you did. And this could be a fun, casual ride or run the next day, depending on what the, what the thing was. But I think the, the mistake I've seen people make is they don't, they're not happy with their results after a race and they go out and slam out an interval set the next day, almost like in anger and like, well, an, I'll for, show for you punishment yeah. or they need to train more or something. Yeah. And it's just not the time, right? Yeah. If you're listening to your whoop, your whoop's probably saying you're not set up to absorb that training. Um, so you shouldn't buy a whoop, but that's another story. We're not saying you shouldn't. We're I, just saying it's not our thing. Well, I said it, so you don't have to, but anyhow, the, the idea is that, you know, you're raced and it was good, but you want to appreciate those times, you know, for Karen, every one of these days and moments has been great. If she doesn't get the Bruce overall, doesn't finish the whole thing. It doesn't like every one of those days was amazing. This whole summer has been, been great. Right. And it's trying to appreciate those times you've had with friends and time experiences you've had. And similar for the, the athletes at these world championships, right? There's so much cool stuff they've done and experienced for a lot of these younger athletes, right? No one was expecting them to win necessarily. We had a few that we were hoping, uh, but the younger ones, you know, especially we're not, you know, there's no, no one's expecting you to win. It's the first time you've been to Europe in your life. Right. Yeah. So trying to appreciate that and take away the learning and the feedback back to the drawing board to then plan a year of training and another year of training. Right. And it, cause it's, again, the, the difference between the young athletes and riding with someone like Catherine Penderel is just, you know, there's a whole level of experience there. Right. And there's no way to get to that experience, right. You might get as fit there. Maybe they could push the same power, but without that experience accumulated, it gets very tough. Mm -hmm. So I think the idea then is that you appreciate the day and the experience and whatever it was, you can be mad if it didn't go well, but, as you say, you got to be careful in those days after. Give yourself time. Love it. All right. Well, let's end on that nice note. Everyone, take time to celebrate your your victories. However, yeah, and the people with you, and especially this year, right? We're getting back to mm -hmm. doing these things and talking about these big adventures and challenges. So making sure that we're appreciating just being together again. It's a little sappy, but there yeah. you go. Aw. 
Glassford. You emotional softy. Mm. All right. Well, make sure you head over to consummateathlete.com to grab the show notes. We mentioned a couple articles in here. We have a bunch of stuff on Karen and her run in there. Um, and of course, if you enjoy this, please rate, review, follow, subscribe, whatever, wherever you listen to podcasts. It is a huge help. Thank you all so much. And we will see you next week. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed this or any of our past episodes, do us a solid and leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. And check out our book, Becoming a Consummate Athlete, over at consummateathlete.com. Questions or comments? Find us over on Instagram, at consummateathlete, and we will see you next week.